Well, I don't know that anybody likes to be particularly out of the majority. I think we always want to be a part of the group that seems to be the largest. We like to be in the majority. I think there's a tendency in being in the majority to show that, well, that means we're right. And I, and I think that's even part of our uh, culture war that is going on right now is trying to establish well, who's in the majority? Because if you're in the majority, we well, must be right. That's just kind of the way we operate in this day, day and time. And, and I think that's becoming particularly troubling as a Christian because I think as Christians, we're beginning to feel like we're uh, out of the majority now, that uh, there's such a sweeping tide against righteousness and godliness that we can feel like we are ultimately against all odds. But one of the things that you get to see throughout the scriptures is that's pretty common, that the people of God were never in the majority. They were always in the minority. You can think about people like Daniel's three friends who in the, the music sounds that they're going to be the only three people among thousands who are going to be left standing while everyone bows down to an image. And who would not feel the pressure of wanting to be in the majority and go ahead and bow down rather than stand out like a sore thumb as only three people would in such a such a situation. It, it is hard to stand against overwhelming odds. And that's exactly what God is going to ask a man named Gideon to do. Uh, Gideon, we saw last week, is someone who is not a, a man that you would sign up for and say, well, you know, he is definitely our warrior guy. Now, ironically enough, you might remember in Judges chapter 6 that an angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, hey, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon turns around and goes, you can't be talking to me, right? Uh, I'm the least of my, my clan. I'm in the weakest of tribes. There's no way you can be talking to me about being the one who is going to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Now, Judges chapter 6 told us what's going on, that the people of Israel had turned away from God. And in doing so, God has been using the Midianites as well as some surrounding nations to oppress the people now for quite a while. And in, in such a severe way that we're told that the people have carved out for themselves caves and hiding places so that when these attacks would happen, the people would be able to scatter and hide. Things are so bad that you have these nations coming and plundering not only the, the livestock and the cattle, but even the food supply. Now here you would have a harvest and they would come in and they would take all the grain and we find that Gideon is trying to hide his grain in a wine press of all places because of these attacks and invasions and threats. God has come to Gideon and said, you're going to be my deliverer. I'm going to use you. But first, before you can do that, I want you to go and tear down the idols that were in that town. And we see a courageous Gideon last week there in the middle of chapter 6 who takes 10 men, grabs two uh, bulls, and tears down that altar. They wanted to kill him for that, but God, through his father, delivers him and spares him and says, you let Baal deal with him if that's what is going to be. Well, let a God take care of himself. You don't need to protect him if he's truly a God. And that sets us up for where we're at to give us a sense of what you're reading in Judges chapter 6 
And I want you to notice what you're told in verse 33, because we really need to get a feel of what's about to happen. And in verse 33, you're told that you have the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east. And it says that they've crossed the Jordan River and now they have come into Israel territory. And now, again, these are the ones who've been invading for years. And so they haven't come over on a pleasure trip to take a vacation. They are preparing to do the same thing again. They're going to invade the land and cross over and take everything from them yet one more time. But I want you to notice what we're told in verse 34. This time something different happens. We're told that the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet And the Eberizerites were called to follow him. And he sent messengers all throughout the tribe of Manasseh. And they too called out to follow him. And then you sent messengers to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. And they went up to meet them. So I want you to hear what's happening is that we're going to gather everybody in preparation. They've come across the Jordan again. But we're going to meet them for battle instead. And I do want you to notice that phrase that the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And I want you to notice here is a spot where you don't see anything miraculous. You don't see a miracle happening. Nothing. It's just a statement to show God has done exactly what he said he would do. Remember the angel of the Lord's first words to Gideon. The Lord is with you. Mighty man of valor. And now as the army is beginning to form again, as there they are, they've crossed the Jordan River and there they are preparing for battle. God's kept his word. God is with Gideon. Gideon sounds the trumpet, gather everybody together and let's prepare for battle. However, I do want you to notice that verse 36 does not say, and so he gathered all the men and off they go to war. And here comes this great clashing battle. I want you to notice that we still have the same Gideon that we were reading about earlier in this chapter. Nothing's changed in his character and his personality. We have Gideon as still this fearful man. And I want you to notice that we're told in verse 36 that Gideon said to God. And I'd like for you to just kind of think about that for a minute. How do you do that? Obviously, even though everybody is coming to him because he's sounded the trumpet and the messengers have gone out through the tribes to prepare everybody for battle He's praying to God. And here is Gideon praying to God. And he says, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. I want you to notice that Gideon wants to make sure that God is with him. Gideon wants to make sure that God is going to save Israel through the hand of Gideon. And so everybody's gathered together. He's done what God has said, torn down the idols. But before we go into battle, let's just check one more time about this. And I want you to notice that in verse 38, it just simply says, and it was so. And he rose early in the morning and squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. But then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on the ground all around. Let it be dew. And God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground there was dew. I want you to notice something. Did you expect a different response? 
I want you to notice that God does not come to Gideon and go, come on, man. <laughs> what more do you need? I've already come to you. An angel has come, already had burned up the food on the rock and said, okay, I'm with you. You know, go into battle, mighty war. You've torn down the idols and I protected you. How could you possibly be asking a sign? I want you to see that God does not condemn Gideon here. You know, sometimes we can read this and go, man, Gideon's just really a loser here. I can't believe you do something like this. You get a sign with the dew on the fleece and not on the ground. Then you turn around and reverse it and say, make it on the ground and not on the fleece. And God was okay at that. I want you to see something very amazing here that what you are observing here is God is meeting Gideon in his place of fear. Gideon is scared. Gideon is nervous. He's the same person that we saw hiding in the wine bed at the beginning of chapter six. And here is Gideon saying, I want to know that you are with me. And God goes, I will give you that answer and I will show you that I am with you and goes ahead and fulfills this sign twice to show Gideon that he is going to be the one to deliver Israel. God is with him. He's going to give them the victory at this this very time. And I think that's important to see because sometimes we can think that it would be terrible of us to be fearful, to do the will of God. And what I want you to see is that the problem would not be that we are afraid, but rather that we would allow our fear to keep us from doing God's will. That would be the problem is Gideon would go, you know what, Lord, I'm really afraid. So you just need to find somebody else. I'm just not the guy for this. No, no. You can do God's work, even in fear, even though you're nervous, even if you're you're scared. It is fine for us to do that work. I would dare say there's not a lot of things that we do for God in which we don't have a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation, a little bit of I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. And God is fine with that and is meeting us in that moment and telling us to go and do this work. And so even though Gideon wants this confirmation, God is coming to him and saying, all right, I'm giving you the confirmation. Go and do the work that I have given you to do. But would you not think with a fearful Gideon, you'd go, okay, let me do something amazing right here to make calm your fears and make you no longer nervous. <laughs> I want you to notice how chapter seven now opens that here we have Gideon. Remember, he's called Jerubael. That's, that's because the whole town said, we're going to call him Jerubael. We're going to let, let Baal contend with him. We're going to let Baal kill him for doing what he did to the idol. So there's his name that the people were calling him. Here is Gideon and all the people were with him. They arose early and encamped beside the spring of Harad. And the camp of Midian was to the north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Now, I want you to notice what this said next. Verse two, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying my own hand has saved me. Now, I want you to stop here for a minute. God says you have too many people for this battle. And the last thing I want is for you all to think the reason you won is because you're a bunch of good warriors and fighters and soldiers. I don't want that to happen. Now, what I want you to begin to think about is how many people do you think Gideon had in preparation for this battle? Now, let me help you work with the numbers. 
We're not told till chapter 8 that the army that has amassed on the other side, which we're told here in this text looked like locusts <laughs> all before him, the Midianite army has 135,000 men ready for battle. So before you read anything, I would like for you in your mind to consider, so how many men do you think Israel had that God would come and say, you have too many guys. And I want you to notice that in verse 3, we're told that Israel only has 32,000 men. I don't think anybody would come to Israel and go, you have 32,000 men against their 135,000. You definitely have too many. No, they have too many. They, it's four to one odds approximately right now. They, these are not good working odds in the first place. We're already starting in a deficit. They have 135,000 all set to go. We only have 32,000. This is not looking good. And the Lord goes, you know what? You have too many. <laughs> I'm getting, I go, we don't have too many. <laughs> four to one we don't need to get rid of anybody. But God says, I need you to get rid of some people. I need you to send some people away. And I want you to notice in verse three, here's the message. Whoever is fearful and trembling, let them go home. And of your 32,000 people, 22,000 leave. <laughs> Most of them are afraid. Most of them, we don't want any part of this. And here is God saying, I need to whittle your numbers down because the problem is, if you have this victory, you're going to say you saved yourself. You're going to say it was by your own hand. And I would like for you to think just for a moment that one of our biggest problems, well, actually one of, of God's biggest problems in dealing with us is that we take credit for what God has done. And I want you to notice that's God's big problem right here. You're about to go into battle, but I have a problem. You can't go to war against them because my problem is this. If you go in, even though you, it is against you four to one, you're going to think it was you. And I can't have that. I don't want you to say that it was by your own hand. I don't want you to say that you saved yourself. I don't want you to think that you were such wonderful warriors and that's why you were given the victory. I need to make sure that you know that it was me who did this. And so often our problem is that we elevate ourselves, that we glory in our own abilities rather than giving God the glory and giving God the credit. And here is God just expressly stating that problem. The last thing I want you to do is to think it was you. I need you to see that it was me. And so this is how God is going to show them that very picture. We have our Midianite army. Now Israel is down to 10,000 men. I want you to think about this now for a moment. They have 135,000 we only have 10,000. We've got 13 to 1 odds at this point. That surely will indicate the victory, right? Verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. <laughs> they have 13 times 
the size. And God says, no, uh, that's not going to work. That's not going to work for me at all. The people are still too many because even at 13 to 1 odds, God says, you know what you're going to do? You're going to glory in yourself. You're still going to look at your own abilities. You're going to think you just wielded some swords really in an amazing way. You think it's going to be you, and I can't let you think that. So here's what I want you to do. Verse 4, take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any of whom that you say, whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. And so he brought them down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. So uh, here you just imagine, go down to the water and Gideon just goes, everybody drink up before we go into battle, have have a drink. And he says, and then you just start watching how they drink and you're going to sort them. (laughs) The people who put their face in the water, I want you to move them over here. And the people who put their hands in the water to drink, I want you to move them over there. So you just start sorting them left and right. Okay, move, move them around. Now here's what God says. Verse six. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go from every, of every man back to his own home. I want you to just think about this. All right, so here we go. 135,000. Now we've got 300. 450 to 1 odds. Each person will have to defeat 450 other men for this to be a victory. I just want you to imagine 450 guys surrounding you. How that's going to fly. How, how are you going to do? Four, you're done. I'm just pick you up and carry you away at 450 to 1. And now God says, that's going to work for me. Now, I want to make a caveat here in this part of the story because I, I, I get a little disturbed by how this is portrayed. Is sometimes what people do is, well, the reason why he chose those 300 is because, you know, if you put your hands on the water and lap it up, you can keep your eyes out to watch out for people who are coming and attack. But, you know, you're not a very good warrior if you put your face in the water and, and lap it up. What is the reason God is doing this? The point of this is not to find who are the best 300 fighters. Actually, quite the opposite. I'm trying to whittle this down to such a degree that you will realize it's definitely not you and must be God. That's, I believe, if it had been reversed, he would have taken the 300 of the others. He wants very few people. That's the whole point that's being communicated here. Because now God says, I'm ready to do the work. Let's go. You got 300 people. Now let's go to battle. And I want you to just imagine now how, if you're Gideon, how are you feeling? Before we even started at four to one odds, he's laying fleece on the ground going, are you sure you're with me? I want to make sure that, that this is going to work out. You're going to give us the victory, right? Four to one odds. I'm not feeling it right now. We're at 450 to one and God goes, great. There we go. Now I can work with that. And I want you to notice that that's exactly where Gideon is at. As you will notice in verse 9, it says that same night the Lord said to him, that's Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. I just want you to notice 
God said in verse 9, all right, you got your 300, go fight. Go get them. But look at verse 10. But if you're afraid, if you're afraid to go down, then go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you will hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So I just want you to consider, what do you think Gideon did? Do you think Gideon said, hey, guys, let's go? Or do you think he spied out the camp? Yeah, you spied out the camp. <laughs> I love that God goes, all right, go get them. And he goes, but if you're afraid, you go ahead and get your servant and go down there and listen to what they're saying down there and you'll feel better. So that's exactly what happens. Middle of verse 11. He went down with his servant to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. Look at this in verse 12. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. You imagine, you know, you only have 300 guys. And here you are with your servant walking up and you just see a wall of bodies that you're about to fight. He says, you can't even count the camels. <laughs> they are ready to absolutely annihilate Israel at this point. Verse 13, but when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his, his comrade, and he said, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent, and it struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. That was a weird dream. Here's this big rolling bread. Rolls down a hill. Perfect strike into the Midianite camp. Camp flips over upside down, falls flat. <laughs> Notice the interpretation, verse 14. The other guy said, well, this is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Here they, here they are going, we're going to lose. <laughs> we're in trouble. Like you're, you're as numerous as the sand of the sea. They've got 300 guys, but they go, Hey, Gideon, he, he's, he's going to whip us because they've got God. Verse 15. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. I want you just to see here is God addressing Gideon's fear again. He doesn't say, now, come on, you've got to be ready now. How many signs do I have to give you? He says, and if you're afraid, I'll give you another one. Go listen in on what they're doing down there. And he comes back and he's able to tell them, let's go. We can do this. But I want you to see something else about what God does with Gideon. Verse 15, after he does this, where he comes and tells everybody to get ready. Verse 16 says, he divided the 300 men into three companies. And I want you to know the weapons of their warfare. And he put trumpets into the hands of all of them. And empty jars with torches inside the jars. You've got your 300 against the 135,000 with a trumpet in one hand and an empty pitcher in another with a torch in it. Here we go. 135,000 to 300. We're going to win, right? Verse 17. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. And when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. And when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord 
and for Gideon. And that's exactly what happens. And I want you to notice the words of verse 22. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his brother and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tebath. Let's blow the trumpets and it says, and God turned around and made them all kill each other. (laughs) I hope we see something very powerful in this picture. Something so amazing about what God is trying to communicate, not only to Gideon, not only to Israel, but also to us. God has to make our circumstances impossible. So that we will not boast in ourselves, but see that our help can only come from him. We even observed that a little bit in this morning's Bible class, that very same idea. How God has to make it difficult so that we will turn our eyes upward. Make it impossible so that we will not boast in ourselves. Ironically... When we have the odds stacked against us and circumstances seem impossible, what do we have the tendency to do? Oh, well, I won't pray to God because it's impossible. I don't need to pray to God because what's God going to do? You know, it, it it can't turn. It can't change. It can't be any different. The circumstances are impossible. We do that with God. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He said it like this. And speaking about what God told him, that he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What God says is he has to stack the odds against us so that we'll stop looking to ourselves. And Paul was learning that in that section as he speaks about the thorn in the flesh and simply says, you know, when I'm strong is when I'm in my weaknesses. When I feel like I have nothing, when I feel empty, when I feel like I'm at the end of my rope, when I feel like I have no other choices, when I'm at the the, the very end of it all, that's when I know that I'm going to be the strongest because what God is always doing is moving us to that point so that we would turn our eyes upward and say, I need God. And so often what we do is we think prayer can only accomplish things in the realm of the possible rather than believing that God is able to accomplish all things and that his arm is not short. Gideon won with less because God is all you need. And it would have been funny for God just to say, let me just do it with you by yourself, Gideon. He could have done it. (laughs) Yeah, you can make this point. Well, you 32,000, we'll take it down to 10,000. We'll take it down to 300 just to prove the point that God is all that you need. And that he will work with our weaknesses and work through our weaknesses 
to accomplish his purposes. I used this passage in Hebrews 11 last week, and I want to use it again, but with a different emphasis. In Hebrews chapter 11, you have this statement about the rest, if you will. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. But I want to slow down right here because things sounded so great along that storyline until you read this phrase. We're made strong out of weakness. Don't fly by that. These are weak people that God is making mighty. As God was able to go to Gideon and say, hey, mighty man of valor. Because he knew what he was going to accomplish through the weakness of Gideon. We see the same picture here that God wants us to embrace our weakness so that we will depend upon God's strength. And I have to say, I think that is perhaps one of our hardest challenges. Is the need to embrace our weaknesses. So that we will accept and realize we need God's strength. To put this as, as another way for our final point. When life is overwhelming. When it seems like all hope is lost. And when it looks like everything is impossible, God's doing this so that you'll depend on him and so that you'll look to his hand to save you. Oh, if I could just remember that. When you're overwhelmed and it all looks impossible and all hope is lost. God did that so that we'd stop trusting in our own strength and that we would look to God to save us. God's biggest concern in this story is not great Gideon and be like Gideon, but God who says, I'm operating in such a way so that you won't take glory in your life for what has happened. That I don't want you to look at yourself and go, I did that. I want you to look at your life and say, God did that. I want you to look at your life and say, I see God's hand. And the greatest way we see God's hand in our lives is when we're pushed to the point of impossible. To the point when it's 450 to 1. And there seems to be no hope and no way. That's when God says, now you're ready for me and let me do my work. Let's go to God in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father. <clears throat> oh, Lord, we 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 know we fail at this so terribly. Lord, how often do we look to ourselves <clears throat> 
We look to our abilities and we look to our accomplishments and we take credit for our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us for that. And Lord, I pray that you would help open our eyes so wide to see that everything in our life is because of you and that you deserve all the glory and all the credit. And Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith so that the times that we feel overwhelmed, that we feel like there's no way out, when it feels like the odds are against us, when it looks like life is impossible, when it seems like that there's no light ahead, that that's exactly where you want us to be. Help us to have the faith to see that you have us there in that moment so that we would stop relying upon ourselves and that we would fully trust you. Lord, give us that faith and open our eyes to see the power of who you are and what you are able to do. Lord, we know the scriptures tell us that there is nothing that is impossible with you. So Lord, help us believe it. Help us seek it and help us pray for it. And may we always see your great hand at work in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.